Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Hope you had a great weekend. It's Monday, December 21st, 2020, and we begin with President Trump's next move. His legal team has filed a lawsuit at the Supreme Court, hoping the Supremes will take their case about the unconstitutionality of Pennsylvania's election laws. But will he pull the trigger on the Insurrection Act? We're going to speak with one of his top campaign lawyers. Also, Attorney General Bill Barr making news, no special counsel on Hunter Biden or election fraud. And as for the federal government actually stepping in to seize voting machines under the Insurrection Act, well, he's not a fan. I see no basis now for seizing machines by the federal government. You know, a wholesale seizure of machines by the federal government. Of course, he said he doesn't think there should be a wholesale seizure. So that seems to leave some wiggle room. Anyhow, we're going to discuss more about the Insurrection Act during this show. I want to begin, though, with one of the big players in all of this. Jenna Ellis joined us earlier today. She, along with Rudy Giuliani, are leading the efforts when it comes to the president's legal strategy ahead. Jenna Ellis, uh, always great to see you. Thanks for being here on the water cooler again. Great to join you, David. Thanks for having me. Well, the latest, obviously, uh, the filing at the Supreme Court. Take us through it. What's the legal strategy there behind this, Jenna? Yeah, well, thanks. The legal strategy has always been the same, which is to make sure that we protect election integrity and make sure that all of these illegal uh, votes are not actually counted in the totals and to make sure that uh, even though the, the laws were completely disregarded in Pennsylvania, that we get the appropriate remedy there uh, for not only the uh, voters in Pennsylvania, but the American people as a whole. And so what Team Trump is continuing to do is challenge um, all of these rule violations in the states. And so uh, what we did yesterday was filed a case uh, to the Supreme Court. Of course, this is on appeal, unlike the Texas versus Pennsylvania case that had original jurisdiction that went directly to the Supreme Court without any lower court proceedings. Uh, this one is on appeal, so it is discretionary for the Supreme Court, uh, but we hope that they, of course, will take this up. This shouldn't be a political partisan issue. It shouldn't be anything else other than the genuine administration of justice. And so uh, this particular case is uh, fighting to remedy uh, what the Pennsylvania laws were disregarded. And I'm uh, now reading from our press release that said, um, our petition seeks to reverse three decisions which uh, eviscerated Pennsylvania legislature's protections against mail-in ballot fraud, including first, prohibiting election officials checking whether signatures on mail ballots are genuine during canvassing on election day, second, mm -hmm. eliminating the right of campaigns to challenge mail-in ballots during canvassing for mm -hmm. signatures and other irregularities, third, holding that the rights of campaigns to observe canvass canvassing of mail-in ballots only merit that they were allowed to, quote unquote, be in the room. Uh, those are the ballots that are counted in secret. And then finally, uh, eliminating the statutory requirements that voters properly sign, address, and date mail-in ballots. I mean, these are just things that are common sense safeguards that were totally ignored in Pennsylvania. And the remedy that we're asking the Supreme Court um, is to simply follow the law and the Constitution. Jenna, I've got to ask you, you know, the, the courts have been uh, honestly a bit AWOL here in terms of taking up some of these cases. Uh, and obviously state legislatures uh, haven't really stepped up and done their part. And so then the Epoch Times comes out with this. I want to read this to you. This is an editorial from the conservative uh, Epoch Times. And this is what they say. They're talking about the Insurrection Act and they come to a final conclusion. But this is what they say. Our form of government is at risk if an election can be won through such dishonest means as were used in 2020, 
then one can expect the next election to be won in the same manner. The American people will effectively lose their right to vote. They go on to say this, how will the United States be defended? Local, this is the part I was talking to you right about here now. Local officials are often those most complicit in the corruption of the election. Judges, because of the doctrine of separation of powers, are not often reluctant to tell states how to run their elections. And the U.S. Congress has no role unless the Electoral College fails to deliver a winner. And then they come to this final conclusion, Jenna. They say Trump's destiny is to fill the breach. He has taken an oath to defend the U.S. Constitution, and he has the presidential powers to do so. And then they say Trump should use those powers as president to safeguard the future of our republic and arrest those who have conspired to deprive people of their rights through election fraud. The Insurrection Act enables Trump to use the military to seize the key electoral evidence in contested states and deliver huh, a transparent, accurate accounting of the vote. Uh, and finally, they say our system is in crisis. Trump should act now to restore the rule of law. What, what's your uh, take on what they are saying? It's a, what a lot of conservatives feel as it relates to specifically, Jenna, the Insurrection Act. Yeah, that's a great question, and I'm glad you bring this up because, um, you know, while the administration of elections, of course, is within the province of the judiciary, it's not a political uh, sort of contemplation. This is about making sure that the Supreme Court, which ultimately are the judges, uh, make people follow the rules. That's uh, that's just something that's part of law and order in this country. But when you get into things like the Insurrection Act, what that's asking uh, President Trump to do is to take the military and go and seize assets in state sovereignties. Um, there are a variety of reasons that I don't think that that is a particularly constitutional solution. And certainly, um, I would not advise that uh, the American people want that ultimately as the solution here because of the precedent that it would set. We have a constitutional process for a reason, and we have the judicial branch that really does need to step in. I think that the Supreme Court absolutely let the American people down by refusing to take up the Texas case. They had no discretion under the U.S. Constitution. Justices Alito and Thomas were absolutely right about that. It was original jurisdiction filed directly in the Supreme Court, states versus states. They had no uh, authority to deny hearing that case regardless of the outcome. So the Supreme Court absolutely let us down. We've had the executive branch that let us down because these election officials that were supposed to administer the law of their states completely disregarded it. But what the, um, the Epoch Times uh, didn't go into is actually the state legislature solution. That's the protection mm -hmm. under Article 2 that the founders specifically put in place, not uh, the military option, not anything within the executive branch, but the state legislatures. They can look at all of this uh, corruption. They can look at how their laws in their states were totally ignored, and they can take back their delegates at any time, and they can refuse to go along with the certifications that are absolutely false and fraudulent. So that's the constitutional yeah. solution. And I would encourage, David, for all of the people, and there are so many, there are 80 million Americans out there who voted for President Trump, who know that this was a steal, who want a solution. We have to still make sure that even though we see that our country has been undermined by corruption, our solution can't be to undermine the Constitution ourselves. We have to go through the process. We have to hold our leaders accountable. And at the end of the day, if we don't get a correction in this case, we have to fight to make sure that this never happens again and that we still continue uh, to battle forward to find the truth um, and to make sure to push the truth in the outcome of this election to make sure uh, that we follow those constitutional processes. You know, that's interesting. You know, and 
One thing I appreciate about you is you're a straight shooter, and uh, I know there are a lot of folks in MAGA land that want that Insurrection Act to, you know, uh, to be invoked, and this idea, you know, just, uh, you know, just go all the way, go, go, go fully that way, and technically the president can't do that, but you're saying there's a delineation between that and the constitutional way to do it, because this might divide MAGA Nation a little bit, especially folks that are even further along in the process in terms of what they want this president to do. Sure, and I certainly understand uh, their motivation and their passion, but we have to make sure that uh, we have actually meaningful justice. Um, you don't go and uh, and correct a process uh, or a correct you know a, a fraud or um, something that was an injustice or an illegality by going outside the process. That's why we have law and order in this country, and that's why we don't have vigilante justice. That's why we have uh, certain laws and processes. And so um, I would just encourage the American people, and I know that a lot of people out there aren't lawyers. You know, they're looking at these types of things and thinking, oh, this right. would be great for the president to do. We have all these different ideas. Uh, but that's also why he has advisors. That's why he has attorneys to make sure that staying within uh, his the margins of his constitutional authority, and especially for precedent, that we make sure that this process, uh, that we're the ones that uphold yeah. the Constitution. Uh, and I know, I know there's attorney-client privilege. You probably can't get into all of those discussions, but I know that, that certain media outlets reported about a big uh, White House uh, meeting on Friday night, the president and I was Sidney Powell and some others were involved and there were people weighing in on both sides. So what, what can you tell, what can you tell us about some, I'm sorry, what's that, Jenna? Sorry, I said, I'm happy to say I was not part of that for the record. Oh, okay. Well, that, well, that's what I want to ask you. I, so is there anything you can tell us uh, about that? Because I know there were different schools of thought about what the president is hearing right now. Yeah, and you know that's something I wasn't part of those discussions, and um, you know anything in terms of my direct advice to the president, of course, does fall under privilege. But uh, what I would say to the American people is that President Trump absolutely is fighting, but he's fighting within the margins of the Constitution, and he's also making sure that when he protects America first and election integrity, this is all about following the rules. This is all about yeah. making sure that the rule breakers are brought to justice, and that their corruption and that their uh, ultimately dereliction of their duty and all of the, this election fraud is ultimately resolved. 30 seconds. Congressman Matt Gates uh, says he's going to object on January 6th. That's another U.S. congressman. I know you're looking for one bold senator. What's the latest? What can you tell us? You, you think there'll be a bold senator to stand on January 6th? I really hope so. And I think that, uh, you know, what what the what Congress really needs to look at is to make sure that this never happens again. And if we allow cheaters to prosper, they'll continue. But what I really hope even before January 6th, David, is that the state legislatures in these six states actually grow a spine. The state leadership, there are a lot of uh, both senators and representatives in all these six swing states that want to co uh, correct the corruption and the disregard of the rules in their states, they can do that between now and January 6th. That's really the solution that needs to happen. Jenna Ellis, a key member of Donald Trump, the president's uh, legal team. Jenna, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks, David. Jenna Ellis here on the water cooler. Some interesting news she made out of that interview, in essence, saying that her advice to the president would be don't go the way of the Insurrection Act. And of course, that does seem like it would divide MAGA Nation, as I pointed out in the interview, because you have Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood and others that are not representing the president officially, but they obviously want the president to go that route, including General Michael Flynn, too. So uh, TBA on how all of this is going to work out. All right, when we come back, an update on King Newsom in California. Some calling him a king jester, court jester, not king jester.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, California. <laughs> I mean, how would I just say? I'll just say the state, California, and uh, insert uh, whatever you want to say there, because when it comes to COVID especially, uh, King Newsom, and that's what we've been calling him here, King Newsom, some might call him Court Jester uh, Newsom, not to be disrespectful, but uh, hey, look, it's going on uh, in California. Uh, everything seems to be locked down out there. Uh, let's bring in uh, the California uh, State Assembly uh, leader for the Republicans, uh, Shannon Grove, who has uh, a few things to say about what's going on out there in California. Uh, Shannon, always great to have you back on the show. Hey, David, very much for inviting me back to talk about what's going on out here in California. Yeah, well, let's talk about COVID and let's talk about the, the restaurants specifically, the decimation that you have seen there. I know you have a letter uh, that you have sent out uh, to the governor. Uh, talk to us about that and what's happening there with the restaurant industry. So, you know, there's no data that goes back to uh, the restaurant industry for COVID. And it's almost as if the governor is playing um, the price is right. He is um, pointing to a door and saying, you know, door number two, and they shut down restaurants and gyms. And like I said, there's no data um, that says that COVID-19 infections are coming from in-room dining or outdoor dining or our restaurant industry. And when you look at our restaurant industry, they're the small businesses that are the backbone of society. They employ individuals who are single moms. Um, a lot of uh, restaurants are owned by women in the state of California. And it's just very frustrating that the governor is using his power to shut down these small businesses and not allow them to operate to provide for their families, not uh, allow any um, resources to come from the state, not that the state could administer those resources if you compare it to the EDD problem. But it's just very, very frustrating that the governor is shutting down these small businesses when there's no data that says that they're the cause of this, um, these outbreaks. Yeah, and you mentioned shutting down uh, the restaurants. And let's talk about uh, the churches as well out there. Uh, boy, uh, where do I don't even know where to begin on that one other than what can you tell us in terms of the latest? Is there any sort of effort to try and break through any of this logjam as it relates to it's not even a logjam. I mean, it's just it's just the outright uh, King Newsom moves out there about what he is doing to churches out there in California. No, you're absolutely right. He is a church faith community essential in any way, shape, or form. But many lawsuits have been filed. Uh, we actually have a lawsuit here in Kern County that's going to be heard today. There was a San Diego judge um, that also found in favor of churches. The Supreme Court ruled in a decision that was filed by a Pastor Che on down in the Pasadena area. So we are making headway in the courts for constitutional rights uh, to worship. But the governor, um, it, it's just absurd. I mean, you could hold church service in store and 
totally completely legal under the governor's uh, orders, but you can't hold church inside of a church building and be under the governor's guidance in, in compliance with his guidance. Shannon, tell me a little bit about any sort of potential recall out there of the governor, the petitions that are out there, any movements out there. There's a lot of folks around the country who may not understand California politics, but want, want to see a governor, Governor Newsom recalled. What's the process involved in that and how hard would it be? So right now there is another recall that's in underway. It's the recall that's gone the furthest. Uh, they've hit the halfway mark of already um, signatures, 850,000 signatures that have been turned in. There's another 270 or so thousand signatures being processed. Which will put us a million. It has, we have volunteers in every single county in Densmore and individuals um, are doing fundraising. Newt Gingrich, uh, Mike Huckabee, the entire Republican uh, congressional delegation has endorsed or came on board on the recall. And um, so this recall is moving forward and um, we have till March 21st to make sure that the signatures are turned in so that the citizens of California can vote to uh, hopefully eliminate uh, this position that the governor holds, not the position, but hold, eliminate Gavin Newsom's position, not his position, his office, I apologize, um, and put somebody with integrity in that will do the right thing for the citizens of California in that position. Shannon, you broke up a little bit. I just want to understand, are, are you saying that there's a certain, they have to get to a certain amount of signatures? Uh, what is that? Do you think they'll get there? I mean, what's, what's your sense going forward? Yes, I think they'll get there. They're, um, they are uh, gathering signatures every day. We have until March thir uh, 21st to be able to turn in the 1.5 million signatures needed. Once this 270,000 signatures is accounted, we'll be at 1.2, 1. you know, right around in that area with everything that's gathered um, from this point, including the 850,000 signatures that are already being processed. Gotcha. Uh, let's talk about real quick before we uh, have to run here, the unemployment insurance uh a scandal, call it whatever you want. I, you, I'm sure you have a word for it. What is going on out there in California with unemployment insurance and the claims being made? Can you take us through it for people that don't understand and, and how widespread this is and how devastating it is? It's extremely devastating. So under the CARES Act, the federal government issued a significant amount of dollars to every state for unemployment benefits so that when governors like Gavin Newsom shut down the state and, and uh, did not allow people to go to work to earn a living, there would be some type of assistance that came from the state. Well, there's so much fraud rampant within the EDD office, the Employment Development Department of the state of California, that they're estimating that over $8 billion, billion with a B, $8 billion of unemployment fraud benefits have been paid out to prisoners in the state of California. Um, I mean, people like with the name of poopy pants and people with social security numbers of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. The fraud is completely rampant and the in, governor's administration has done nothing to curtail this fraud. It's, it's absurd. And all the while you have real um, bona fide individuals who have lost their job because the governor has stopped them from working and stopped them from earning a paycheck that are still waiting for their benefits. All the while, the governor's employment development department is processing um, billions of dollars in claims to go to uh, prisoners that are serving inside of the penitentiaries or the prisons inside of California. Mm -hmm. There was also a claim, I believe a total of $2 million was issued to one household up in the Northern California area. And some of those claims were actually issued in the name of Diane Feinstein. Now the Senator did not file for these benefits 
but someone filed on behalf of her name and the EDD department didn't even catch that that issue. My goodness. Shannon Grove, uh, thanks for catching us up on that. Uh, by the way, not often you hear the words poopy pants uh, said on national television. So thank you for 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 saying that. At least you said it. I didn't. <laughs> Shannon, I really appreciate your time. Well, that was an actual David. Yeah, I appreciate that. That was an actual name of a person that filed for benefits that the state paid. They paid that. I know. And they, there are a few names for Gavin Newsom that we won't say here, but I know that's about the recall. That's what that's about. All right. Uh, Shannon, thanks so much. Appreciate it. You're great. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Merry Christmas. Uh, and by the way, I said Merry Christmas because I see that Christmas tree behind her. And I'm saying, Madison, that is a 10 on a 10. 10 out of 10 for a Skype shot, for sure. All right. Back in a moment with Jenny Beth Martin from Tea Party Patriots. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Look, in this election fraud fight, there are uh, quite a few people that are on the front lines of this fight. And it's no surprise that our next guest is one of them. She is the co-founder of Tea Party Patriots. She's been in this type of fight for a long time now. Uh, Jenny Beth Martin back on the Water Cooler with us. Uh, Jenny Beth, always great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's start with Georgia. I mean, there you are in Georgia. There's a lot of focus down there. Let's start with the Senate race real quick. Uh, What's your sense down there? What are you trying to, uh, at least what's your sense of what's going to happen down there? What's your feel? Well, I think it's going to be a close election. The election is going to a runoff because because it was close already in the general election. So I think it'll be close. There are a lot of absentee ballots out there. I think that we need to be watching those ballots very, very closely to make sure that the votes that are counted are actually, were actually legally cast votes. So we're only counting legal votes. And um, I know that both both sides are getting out the vote, but the the Republican side is, there are so many buses around doing bus tours and people who are just making sure everyone understands what's at stake and how important it is to hold the Senate so that we've got a firewall against socialism in America. Well, and President Trump is echoing a lot of that on Twitter. Shockingly, he's on Twitter. Uh, here's some of what he had to say about what's going on uh, down in Georgia. Uh, specifically, he says this, uh, Governor uh, Brian Kemp and his puppet, uh, Jeff Duncan, uh, together with the Secretary of State of Georgia, are very slow on signature verification, won't allow Fulton County to be examined. What are these rhinos hiding. We will easily win presidential state race. And then he goes on to say uh, Kelly Loeffler uh, and Senator David Perdue will not be able to win on January 5th unless these people allow signature verification and presidential race. He goes on from there. Uh, What is your take? Uh, Does he have a point? Yeah, he does have a point that the signature verification is a very real problem. Now, remember in Georgia, you've got the outer envelope on the absentee ballot and on that people sign sign the absentee ballot on the outer envelope. It later gets removed and and the ballot is secret and it gets baked into the results. But before it gets baked in and before it's removed, the outer envelope needs to be compared. It is supposed to be compared to the absentee ballot application and also the the signature on file for voter registration. 
there's a consent decree that has messed that up. And we know for certain from the work that I have done helping in the, the Trump legal case in Georgia for Donald Trump, president of the United States, that Cobb County, Georgia, at the very least Cobb County, Georgia, maybe other counties, certainly Cobb County, did not process the absentee ballot applications properly. Now they'll want to make make it seem like it doesn't matter because what we know where they we know they did not process them properly was in April and May, and they'll say, well, that's absentee ballot applications from a long time ago. But the problem is that on that application, if you filled one out in the height of the pandemic and you're over 65 in the military or overseas and you checked a certain box on the application, you automatically got ballots every single election this election cycle, including for the runoff and the general election. If they did not verify the signatures properly back then, the, the ballots just kept going, not just for the primary, but on and on and on. That's why the the audit is so important. It's why they started with Cobb County and the Georgia Bureau of, of Investigation is involved with the audit in Cobb County. And it is part of the reason why the Secretary of State has now announced a statewide audit of the signatures. But we don't have any details on that, except that the University of Georgia will be conducting it. We don't know where, yeah. we don't know when. We don't know any, any details at all. I think they are dragging their feet. I think they owe it to the voters of Georgia uh, from the general election and the ones voting in the runoff to get that done post haste. It should have been done last week. It should have been done before last week, and they need to get it done right away. Jenny Beth, uh, Governor Kemp has pushed back against some of this, saying like he, he's he's asked for signature verification, he's he's asked for this and that. But but what what's the issue with Governor Kemp as it relates to like, like why why isn't he doing? more do you believe he's slow walking this what's i'm trying to understand what's going on there exactly i i've tried to give governor kemp the benefit of the doubt and i did up until about two weeks ago um because unlike the secretary of state where the affidavits were being sent to the secretary of state complaints were going directly to the secretary of state's office to their hotline so they knew of things firsthand people were not calling the governor's office with for an election hotline saying they have problems voting so the governor did not have the same evidence and complaints that the secretary of state did or that the, the trump legal team of which i'm part of was compiling once that case was filed in Fulton County Superior Court, which happened two weeks ago Friday, so it's been two and a half weeks now, the governor had access to read the entire complaint and to look at every affidavit that was filed. Now, he had a, a death of a, a family friend, friend that weekend, so I, I give him a little bit of, of grace through that weekend, but still, it's been over two weeks at this point. He is the governor. He is supposed to make sure that the laws are faithfully executed in Georgia. He could have called a special session, let the state legislature deal with it. They've already had some hearings, make it possible for them to actually have full hearings and take, take votes, but he has not done that. He also could have the Georgia Bureau of Investigation doing the entire signature audit rather than some random people from the University of Georgia who we don't even know who they are and what their expertise are. But we don't know why he's, he's not doing more than he should. I mean, it's just like a mystery. Well, the only thing I can see is up until two weeks ago, he just did not have the same evidence that others had. I do not want a precedent set where a governor, based on news articles and complaints on social media, overturns an election. That would be a problem. 
but he has had the evidence now. He's had the ability to review it. And um, that that issue in Cobb County, he, he that is a huge issue. He should be stepping in there because he has not just the right, but the duty and the responsibility to make sure laws are faithfully executed in Georgia. Our Secretary of State signed a consent decree that I would argue went against what um, the Secretary of State had the power to do because it went against the, the law in Georgia. So I, I don't understand why he has not stepped up more at this point. Now, up until yeah. till the case was filed, I gave him, gave him some, some leeway. Jenny Beth Martin, thanks for breaking this all down. It's really important stuff, and you're right on the front lines. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Uh, Jenny Beth Martin with uh, co-founder of Tea Party Patriots. I've known Jenny Beth, I guess, for a while now. Uh, going back to those Tea Party days, it's the same type of fight because ultimately it's about the Constitution. It's about the rule of law. It's about citizens at the heart of what this republic should be about. We are back in a moment. See you in a moment. That's repetitive. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, COVID relief on the way, $900 billion uh, stimulus bill. Uh, Congress has agreed to this framework. They'll, they'll put it all in together. Basically, $600 uh, stimulus checks uh, for uh, adults and children, at least. At least those making $99,000 or less. Uh, the payment... Uh, then begins to decrease for those above 75000 in annual income. Anyhow, it kind of gets a little complicated. Bottom line is stimulus checks are coming as part of the COVID relief package. Also, uh, from a business standpoint, the bill is going to include more than $284 billion for the uh, Paycheck Protection Program and all of those loans, and we'll get into more of that on future shows. But I want to get into COVID and the vaccine specifically uh, by bringing back Dr. J, a friend of the show. We're going to call him a friend. I hope he's a friend of the show. I hope he likes the show. Uh, Dr. J, uh, professor of medicine at Stanford University. Dr. J, th thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, let's talk about the vaccine. Uh, we have seen we, we see, we've seen some video of some folks that uh, one one nurse even passing out uh, at, at one point uh, regarding the side effects of this vaccine. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, the side effects and what should be expected with this Pfizer and Moderna vaccine for sure? Yeah, so the Moderna vaccine, I haven't, they haven't released the data. At least right. I haven't seen publicly yet. But the, but the Pfizer vaccine, what I've seen is consistent with what the trial evidence showed. Uh, there's some short-term effects for a small part of the population that get the vaccine, including potentially, you know, just feeling crappy for a couple of days after you get it. it uh, I mean, that happens with, for instance, the the the, the Zoster Shingrix vaccine. Also, uh, there's this is not. A, inconsistent with what you'd have expected from the trial. It's nothing uh, severe. I mean, for instance, that nurse, I think she got back up just a little bit afterwards. So um, yeah, I think this is not, not, not nothing yet to be concerned about. Um, obviously, the long-term effects, we haven't had the vaccine for very long, so we still need to be continue to monitor those very carefully. Yeah. What about uh, the UK? We've noticed this new strain over there in the UK, or at least there, there's concern that COVID I don't want to say, I don't know if the right word is morphine, but what's happening exactly? Can you explain uh, some of the concerns that they're experiencing over there in Europe? 
Sure. So, you know, COVID is just like many, many other viruses. They mutate. It mutates. Uh, the strain that you get may not be the strain that other people get. Um, there's literally tens of thousands of mutations of this virus that we've had over, over since it's been uh, sort of you know, floating around the population. Um, there's a new strain that, or, or this, there's what the, in the UK they're claiming it's a new strain that's more infectious, not more deadly, but more infectious than, the, than other strains. The evidence that I've seen so far is that first it's not new that uh, that actually the strain has been around in other places. Uh, Iceland, for instance, reported that they've they've seen it. Um, and and second, the the evidence that it's more infectious is very very. I say shaky. I mean, we don't know that yet. Um, uh, we, we, you just, it, frankly, it seems like it, it's. You, you remember a few a month ago, there was a, a reaction to the the, the the minks in Denmark got the virus, and they slaughtered. I don't know, tens of thousands of basically destroy the mink industry in, in Denmark. Um, it turns out that that wasn't such a big deal. Uh, I mean, probably was a mistake in retrospect. I, th I think this this feels like that kind of panic. Um, very little data and an overreaction to me. I want to ask you a little bit about how folks will go about being vaccinated here in this country. Obviously, uh, they're gonna, it sounds like it's we're in a hierarchy structure or a tier structure, if you will. Rand Paul put up uh, this tweet, uh, Senator Rand Paul, which I thought was interesting. He said vaccines would uh, get to the vulnerable much faster if we deferred vaccinating the 17 million people who've already had COVID. But common sense is not the strong suit of our experts. What's your take on the way they're rolling out this vaccine? Uh, Dr. Paul has it exactly right. Do I call him Dr. Paul? Senator Paul has it exactly right. Uh, he is uh, uh, he's, he's right that the people who have had uh, COVID are most likely immune to the or, or protected from reinfection. Uh, it's not that they should never get the vaccine, but we should prioritize them later because they are a lower risk category than the people who have not had it. Uh, and, you know, for this, this really matters because there's, you know, like 50, 55 million older people in the United States. If we take out 17 million doses and say and, uh, enough doses for 17 million people, we could vaccinate a much larger fraction of them much more quickly and protect them from this deadly disease for them. For people who are younger, uh, they're less, you know, it's like 99.95% survival. Uh, they can wait. People who've had the disease before, they, they can wait. I mean, I think it just makes good sense. Let's vaccinate the people that are vulnerable. Well, you no mentioned, yeah, and you mentioned younger people, which transitions me a little bit to kids and the vaccination. Um, we know that kids have not been tested. Is that correct as it relates to the trials on the Pfizer vaccine, right? That's correct, yeah. So 12 and under, no no, no test at all. I mean, they were just more vaccinated. Um, I think, the, uh, it, you know, in the trial itself. So we don't know anything about how the vaccine works in children, um, at least, you know, in, in any systematic large-scale way. Uh, so I think kids should not be vaccinated at this point. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you. So therefore, there, there's no expectation that I mean, kids can't be should not be vaccinated, but nor would they. Right. Because, I mean, if they're not tested, I mean, that that wouldn't follow protocol. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. The other thing about kids is that they die from this. At I mean, the, 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 the disease is much less severe in kids than it is in adults by order of magnitude. Uh, more kids died last year from the flu than have died from COVID this year. Uh, so I think it makes no sense to vaccinate children when we have so little data on it and where the disease itself, I mean, kids can get the disease, but it's much less severe than when adults get the disease. And the other thing about kids is that for, for reasons we don't fully understand, they seem to spread the disease much less efficiently than, uh, than adults do. So, for instance, that's why opening schools is, is really, really safe and you know, places around the world have opened schools other, other than the U.S. Yeah. How, how concerned, I've got about a minute left, how, how concerned are you about the, the 
the mandates of these vaccines in certain places, whether it be on airplanes, sporting events, uh, at the at your local employer's office. I mean, that, that seems like a question also for a constitutional scholar. But uh, at the same time, uh, I think there's a lot of people concerned about ma- mandating these vaccines. Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of uh, it's kind of it would be a failure of public health in my view. I mean, we convince people to get a vaccine because it makes good medical sense for the person being vaccinated. If I, I mean, if I if I'm sitting here listening to, to a government mandate says, "Oh, you have to get vaccinated or else," I'm going to start to distrust the the, the, the people that are telling me about the data. Why, what what do they have to hide? Why not just show me the data and convince me? The other thing about the vaccine mandates, I mean, I think it sort of creates this uh, like this, from a medical point of view, we don't know how long the immunity of the vaccine actually lasts. So. We don't know how long to issue. I mean, just from a from a sort of logistics point of view, it doesn't make any it make very much sense. I mean, I can see if you are caring for older people, um, you know, your 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 nursing home worker or something, required as a as a measure of employment, you re, you should need to be vaccinated because you so you don't infect someone who's vulnerable. That makes some sense. But as a general matter, I think vaccine packs, passports yeah. mandates makes no sense. Dr. J, professor of medicine, Stanford University. Always great to get your insight. Love having you on the show. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, Dr. J. Uh, one of these days we will get Dr. J, the basketball player, on if we can. But Dr. J, uh, right there, the doctor himself at Stanford, bringing it strong to the medical rack as we stay here at the water cooler. All right, uh, back in a moment with the last sip. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, uh, everybody. I was like, uh, what's my name? I'm David Brody. Uh, Here is today's last sip. So I want to ask you all a question. So what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of ideas to raise money for charity. So I don't know about you, but the first thing that comes to my mind, at least, when I think of raising money for charity or, you know, kosher-friendly activity. I mean, not literally kosher, but you know what I mean. Kosher-friendly activities like, I don't know, starting a 5K run to support a cause, maybe donating some old clothes, uh, maybe toys for those in need. Hey, maybe even putting on a concert where all the money goes to a good cause. All that stuff is fantastic. Very uplifting, inspirational gestures. Well. Apparently, the mayor of Atlantic City thinks otherwise. Uh, He announced last Thursday that Atlantic City is going to auction a spot to put the to actually push the demolition button to Trump Casino. That's right. There it is. The mayor, Marty Small, revealed his latest idea and his reasoning behind it last Thursday at a press conference in Atlantic City. We want you to have a look. Uh, We're here today to talk about the exciting event um, due to charity. Um, This has been a long, hard process. Uh, to get this done, and due to the fact that, um, you know, Mr. Trump's history here in Atlantic City, uh, particularly on the back end, um, where he played out on a national stage, where he said he took advantage of the bankruptcy laws, took advantage of a lot of people, made a lot of money in Atlantic City, and then got out. I think it's extremely important uh, that we do something worthwhile, and there's not a better organization uh, than the Boys and Girls Club of Atlantic City. Seriously, you're going to use the Boys and Girls Club charity uh, as your justification to blow something up because you're mad at President Trump? I mean, just to think, just think for a moment. A few weeks ago, we had Santa telling a little boy that wouldn't give him a Nerf gun for Christmas because guns are bad. Look, I know 
the Santa has been fired. It doesn't mean you can't explode a building out of anger or validate it by having the money uh, go to charity. But here's the thing, folks. Uh, what Mayor Marty Small doesn't realize is that he's actually way behind the eight ball when it comes to imploding things. All right. For example, President Trump has been imploding certain things ever since he stepped foot in the White House. Take a look. For example, the media. Boom. How about other stuff? CNN, gone. How about this? The debate setting, on fire. Donald Trump imploding pretty much everything in sight. Uh, and that's exactly why he is a extremely popular president and why folks are fighting for him every single day. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, end of the show, and that means uh, Sophie News is here. Uh, Sophie, good to see you. Good to see you, David. All right. Uh, news, because you are Sophie, so therefore you've got some news to impart Yes, to I do viewers. think it's that sort of cause and effect relationship. But regardless, I do have some news. So Google is doing this weird thing yeah. where they're sending children, literally children, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, six-year-olds, mm -hmm. messages saying your parents are watching you. And what's interesting about this is um, a film director who is homeschooling his child um, and he the kid needs access to Google. I mean, everybody needs access to Google right. at this point because of remote schooling. But so he's um, homeschooling his kid who needs access to Google, but he's seven. The kid is seven. He doesn't mm -hmm. want him having access to the full internet, you know, unrained, unsupervised. Like Makes that's a seven-year-old. Right. Um, but Google pinged the kid in his email and said, your parents are watching you. Oh Just gosh. like, you know, our, our your privacy is important to us and we want to let you know that your parents are supervising your Google activities, which is interesting because you know when Google doesn't tell you what they're up to mm -hmm. virtually the entire rest of the time. Mm -hmm. They're tracking your data, they're taking your you know, personal information, they're overhearing you listen to the shoes you want and then giving you ads for those on your Facebook, I mean, yeah. allegedly. But all of these, <laughs> you know, all these different things where, um, so Google basically is saying under the UN child privacy rights law, which was sort of passed in the early 90s, way ahead of the modern, you know, technocracy and mm -hmm. just like enormous tech generation. Um, they're saying we children have rights and those rights include knowing when your parents are supervising you, which is just a very strange phenomenon. I mean, especially because there is a difference. There, there should be lines of demarcation between, you know, parents supervising a 17 year old mm -hmm. and a seven year old, where oh. in theory, you know, they're they're in charge of everything that the seven year old does, what they eat, where they sleep, where they go, what TV they watch. Um, and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with a seven-year-old knowing that there are child alerts on his Google bar. But, I mean, it's not, you know, it seems like a real usurpation of the role of parents from big tech in mm -hmm. exactly the way that is emblematic of what our sort of lawmakers talk about when it comes to big tech being too big, interfering in our personal lives a little too much. So it's just another example of this sort of pattern of behavior from big tech that is somewhat concerning. Very concerning. I mean, it's like Mr. and Mrs. Google that are like, you know, the new parents of the seven-year-old. Yeah. Which is, uh, that's, that's actually very, it's, it's worse than, in a way, it's a lot worse than Big Brother. It's like Big Brother on steroids. Well, you know? I mean, it's just giving so. children exactly the information that the parents are trying to yeah. avoid the children accessing at this point in their lives. Right. Sophie, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Uh, tomorrow on the uh, big show, Jordan Sekula will be here. Uh, also, wait, uh, who else is going to be on the show? Alyssa <laughs> Farah will be here. See you tomorrow. <laughs>